I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of people. And the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are gathered here uh, in your presence to worship and obey you. And we thank you that you are the true pastor of the church, the great shepherd of the sheep, the overseer of our souls, and the overseer of the church. Lord, we know that you're with us to bless us, to bless your people. Lord, I pray that you would do that through the preaching of your word. Lord, that you would um, change us and mold us and shape us and forge us into the image uh, of your Son. Father, in Christ's name we pray, amen. So uh, we are in a teaching series called Real Faith, uh, a study on the Apostles' Creed. Now, if you are unfamiliar with the Apostles' Creed, it was an early statement of, of Christian belief. What Christians thought uh, the Bible uh, teaches, it was developed around 300 uh, A.D., so it's, it's been used uh, throughout church history for roughly 1,700 years now. And uh, the creed is like, um, Route 9 this week, uh, this past couple weeks, they had these uh, traffic signs. I don't know if you guys saw those. Route 9 going towards Martinsburg, these flashing signs that said, hey, we're going to be setting some beams and there's, uh, there's going to be a traffic delay. Did anybody get stuck in that traffic? I guess I was the only dummy, me and, me and John Earl. We were the only dummies that, that forgot about that big flashing sign. So, uh, yeah. So the sign was not the beams, correct? The sign was pointing to the beams. So the creed is very much like that, that flashing traffic sign. It is saying, hey, here's the Bible. Hey, here's the Bible. Here's what the, uh, the Bible um, teaches. Now, th those beams also, right, they connect to hillsides, so to speak, and uh, there's going to be an overpass so you can get across there, so you can get across Route 9. The beam that connects or stretches all the way across the Bible, that connects all 66 books of the Bible, is Jesus, and that is the focus of the Apostles' Creed. The majority of the words and everything is Jesus, uh, God the Father. We don't know God the Father without the Son. We don't know anything about the Spirit, the forgiveness of sins, the church, any of that without Jesus. So here's what the creed says. This is where we're at today. We're taking it phrase by phrase, using it as a basis for uh, the sermons in this series. Jesus, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Is anyone's uh, favorite food in here uh, rice cakes? Like you just absolutely love rice cakes. I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Rice cakes are like flavorless, you know, unless you get the flavored ones and the cinnamon ones, maybe they're okay. 
um, but they're flavorless. I think when people hear this right here, like out in our culture or, or whatever, they, it, it tastes like rice cakes to them. They're like, good for you, man. I'm glad that you believe in that old 1,700-year-old creed, but you know, I got better things to uh, worry about. But it's when we start talking about what it means for this world, for our lives, that people begin to feel threatened. And this is because we, we live in negative world. right? Negative world hates nature. That's the first thing we're going to talk about this morning. Negative world hates nature. Stick with me for a second. I'm going to explain it all. Uh, there's a guy. His name's Aaron Wren. He wrote an article uh, a while back that became popular uh, where he kind of lays out three distinct stages within American society uh, from like the 1950s to uh, today, right? And he shows that uh, how society, let's say back in the 50s, had mostly a positive view of Christianity, right? So if you were, everyone was kind of like, expected to go to church, and a lot of people went to church, and if you were a Christian, you were a member of a, of a church, you were an upstanding member of society. Right? I think most people get that. They understand that. It's, and, and a lot of you lived through that time. Well, we live in, he calls that positive world. We live in negative world, which he marks from 2014 to today. He describes the present state of society, how it has a negative view of Christianity where Christianity and the church is seen as a threat, is seen as a problem, where all the phobias, you know, all the phobias will be thrown onto uh, the church. We're, uh, we, talk about, we use hate speech and so on and so forth. The church is threatening to the public good, harmful and repressive. And this is where we're at as a society. We have to know this, that times have, have changed. And negative world hates nature. Here's what I mean by that. I don't mean the great outdoors, right? Everybody loves the great outdoors. Here's what I mean. What we believe as Christians is that the world that Jesus came into is the world that God created. God created the world. Nature is God's. Of course, we believe in the Virgin Mary, the virgin birth of Jesus. This is what all Christians have believed from the very beginning, that Jesus was born of a virgin. But Jesus is the God who invented her body. Jesus is the God who invented conception and childbirth. And what the Bible says about those things is what gets Christians in trouble. Bodies, conception, childbirth. Right? People look at Christians like they're aliens from another planet. Think about this. What is it that if I went tomorrow up on the campus of WVU right at lunchtime and all the kids are out there and I had a big megaphone, I said, I would like to talk to you about this would get them all riled up. What would it be? It would probably have something to do with uh, bodies, uh, virginity, virgin births, uh, conception, childbirth, all these things. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example, another example I'm talking about. Uh, a pastor friend of mine uh, posted something on social media uh, about a Christian music artist who... Um, uh, he, he basically was speaking up about a Christian awards show. Christian music artist speaking up about a Christian awards show where a so-called Christian artist who identifies as queer appeared with a drag queen along with another artist, a man wearing a dress. 
Okay, so this is just Christian artists who's just speaking up and just saying, hey, I don't think this is a, these are Christian things we ought to be doing. And in response, someone from a small town in West Virginia posted an article about um, uh, su- suicide rates amongst youth uh, who identify as transgender, implying that Christians are a part of the cause of these suicides. You see what I'm saying? So Christians say something about the world the way things ought to be, and we are said to be the ones that are causing youths that identifies uh, as transgender to commit suicide. We are the problem, right? Which, which couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, but this is the society that we live in. This is negative world, and we can't bury our heads in the sand here in West Virginia and act like this isn't here. I just gave you an example from small town West Virginia. According to a study by the Williams Institute at UCLA, West Virginia has the highest percentage of trans-identifying teenagers in the country. Right? Let that sink in. That ought to break our hearts for the young people in our, in our community, uh, in our schools, uh, uh, throughout uh, our culture. And we ought to love these people. Right? We ought to love them enough to um, welcome them into our lives and, and to share with them the good news of Jesus. Right? That, that, that we live in a real world, right? And God made things a certain way, and that He loves sinners. He, he, God saved sinners like me. I needed to be saved. God saved sinners like you. You need to be saved. God, God, God uh, save anybody and everyone else. All sin is a rejection of nature. Nature is the way things are, the way things that God created them to be. Sin involves rejecting God as creator and supplementing something else in his place as God. It is exchange of the creator for the creation. Look, this is exactly how Paul starts out uh, Romans chapter 1 when he talks about our great need for Jesus. Look what he says here in Romans 1. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped, here it is, and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. And here's, here's God's judgment for that, for rejecting Him as Creator. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural. See that? Natural. Natural um, sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relationships with women. This is, that's what's natural and were inflamed in their lust for another, men committing shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. You guys know if I read that in some places, I'd probably be beat up or somebody at least try to lock me up, right? But this is why Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He came into the world to save us from our insanity and our madness. So that's number two, Jesus restores nature. Jesus restores nature. This world has a focus. Nature has a focus. Our world has a timeline, like history is a real thing, and Jesus is on that timeline. Like, like he was a real person, you know what I mean? I had a whole section in the sermon where I was going to talk about, we wouldn't even know who Pontius Pilate is that we just heard in the creed if it wasn't for Jesus. Right? Because he was a real historical person. Uh, think about it another way, like the, the crosshairs on a scope. The center of the, of the crosshairs of the Bible is Jesus. 
That's why, this, that's why the Apostles' Creed focuses on Jesus. It doesn't focus on Mary, by the way. I've got, I got to mention this for a second. The focus of the Apostles' Creed is not the Virgin Mary. The, the reason the Creed mentions Mary is to tell us about Jesus, not her. This is where we would disagree with the Catholic Church. So the Catholic Church um, elevates Mary to a place where she doesn't and the Bible also doesn't. doesn't. So uh, doctrines like the perpetual virginity of Mary. Uh, so the Catholic Church thinks that Mary just went on uh, and, and never um, consummated her marriage with Joseph or had any other children. Uh, they teach the sinlessness of Mary, that, that Mary uh, didn't need Jesus to die on the cross for her, and all kinds of things like that. The bodily assumption of Mary into heaven, that she was beamed up to heaven, you know, and then the fact that uh, she was crowned uh, king, uh, queen of, of heaven. Those are all more recent uh, official teachings of the Catholic Church, by the way, that just uh, within the last 150 years, and we don't believe the Bible teaches any of that. Right? Uh, we're, we're Protestants. That is, we, we protest against those teachings and believe that they are completely um, unbiblical. So, what the Scriptures do teach, though, is that Jesus had a nature. And a, and a nature is just what something is. It's the basic characteristics that make something up. It's the essential uh, properties of something. So, uh, my, my family, my, my wife and my two girls, they've been out of town. Uh, they, they, they went out of town uh, yesterday morning, uh, so I've had uh, a lot of time to hunt. And uh, there's a difference between a squirrel and a white-tailed deer, isn't there? Squirrels are possessed of the devil, and uh, they uh, ruin everything. And so a, a white-tailed deer, what is, what is a white-tailed deer's nature? Help me out. No one want to help me out this morning? You can talk here. What's a white-tailed deer's nature? Huh? To feed us? Well, I am very thankful for deer meat. Yes. Wrap it in bacon, whatever. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm looking for the ones that have horns. Okay, they have horns, and when you scare them, like I do very often, I spook them, you see their white tail, right? You know, well, that's a white-tailed deer right there. Uh, that's a white-tailed deer's uh, nature. We, Obviously, there's more to it, but uh, here's Jesus' nature is that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That's who he is, right? Uh, and we'll unpack that. Look at this, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. And this is talking about uh, the birth of Jesus. But after he, that is Mary's husband Joseph, considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So, Joseph and Mary, uh, Jesus' parents, were engaged to be married. Uh, Mary went on a little uh, vacation uh, to visit her relatives for several months, came back with a baby bump. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, Joseph uh, thought she had cheated on him. Right? She thought he, he had, uh, she had been unfaithful to him. So he was going to call the wedding off uh, until an angel of the Lord showed up and told him that uh, the child that has been conceived in you uh, is the result of the Holy Spirit's work. So what does it mean for Jesus to be conceived of the Holy Spirit? Think about it. What does it mean? Well, it doesn't mean that Jesus was created. 
Okay? It doesn't mean that Jesus began uh, at that moment uh, because um, Jesus already had a nature prior to being conceived in the womb. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus has always existed. He's always existed as God. Jesus has always had uh, the very nature of, of God himself. He had a divine nature prior to being conceived uh, by the Holy Spirit. I'll show you this. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Look at this. Though he was God, there it is, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So if Jesus already existed uh, as God, then his conception um, by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, that was God's plan and God's method for adding a human nature to his divine nature. You see that? Jesus already existed with the divine nature. He was conceived in the womb of Mary. That was God's way of getting him a human body. That was God's uh, method. And Mary became pregnant uh, by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit's power, his creative uh, action and activity. Um, and she didn't have uh, sexual relations uh, with anybody. Uh, God caused Jesus uh, to be born uh, from her. And so Matthew goes on to quote from the, um, the prophet Isaiah, saying that if we're reading the Bible correctly, we should have already known there was all kinds of deliverers and saviors that were born uh, as a result of a miracle. You can read the whole story of the Bible that way. Uh, Moses, Pharaoh uh, was trying to kill all the firstborn children. His, his, his parents um, uh, you know, didn't, didn't um, submit to the decree of Pharaoh and uh, let him live and took care, took care of him. He rose up and delivered, um, delivered Israel. Matthew's saying this is what God has been saying all along. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Now all this took place uh, to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. So 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, Isaiah said this, right? And it'll be in bold. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him, they will give him the title, Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. So, in the birth of Jesus, the eternal God came to be with us, right? That is, that is the meaning of the birth of, uh, of Christ. The name for this that Bible scholars and theologians uh, use is called the incarnation. The incarnation. It is the word to explain how Jesus, as God, became Jesus, the God-man, the Messiah, uh, in, in the womb of uh, Mary. Incarnation comes from the Latin word uh, to become flesh. God became flesh in Jesus. You need, to, you need to hear that and let that sink in. The Creator God, the God who made all the stars and all the galaxies, became flesh and blood. He became a, a zygote. He became an embryo in, in the womb of a, of a, peasant, of a peasant girl. That, that, is, that is wonderful. That is amazing. And we sing about it every Christmas, don't we? We sing joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. The Lord God in Christ, in, this, in, the, in the manger. We sing silent night. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. At the birth of Jesus, people were bowing down and worshiping Him uh, as God. Matthew 1.21 It 
She will give birth to a son. And you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So the name Jesus has something to do with being saved from our sins. In fact, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. So God became flesh and blood to save his people from their sins. And that's us. That's talking about everybody in this room. God became flesh and blood to save you from your sins. This is the message of Matthew. In the beginning, Jesus, God came to be with us at his birth. And right, then he grew up and he had this ministry of teaching and preaching miracles. And then he, where does he go to at the end? He goes to the cross where he, he substitutes himself for sinners like me and like you so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored and reconciled uh, back to God. And it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful thing, right? See, here's my point. Only the God-man could save us from our sins. Only Jesus could do it. Only God in the flesh could deliver us, right? And some of you need to believe in that for the first time here today. Some of you need to submit and give your life to Christ here today. You've never, you've never uh, come to believe this. Like, Jesus was like a real person. He was God in the flesh, and he came to rescue you from your sins and your rebellion against your Creator. And you need to come to know him today and give your life and your heart to him today. But that's just the beginning. He doesn't just save us uh, by forgiving us and just leave us there. He doesn't just forgive us and say, all right, I'm just going to affirm the rest of your life and your lifestyle. No, right? He makes us new people. He restores our nature. This is why God became flesh. The purpose of the incarnation was also to restore what it means to be a human being. When you see Jesus, it's true human. It's what life ought to be like. Jesus died to make us like that. Right? Uh, there's a guy named Athanasius. He was a very important person in the history of the church. He was what's called a church father. He lived around the 4th century uh, A.D. And he was a courageous uh, fighter for uh, the truth of the Bible. And he wrote a, a book called On the Incarnation. And this is what he says. Jesus became what we are, human beings. To make us that he might make us what he is. That is holy, righteous, good, pure, to restore the broken image of God in us. What is your nature, by the way? What is your nature? A white-tailed deer has a nature, but you're not a white-tailed deer. What is your nature? You have a body and a soul. Right? This is, what, uh, this is what's called a, a psycho, you are a psychosomatic union. You are spirit and flesh, body, soul, and you have a soul, right? There is a spiritual part of you. You are not an animal like a deer, right? You, the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's a spiritual aspect to you that's been, that's been welded together with the physical um, aspect of, of who you are. And Jesus came to restore your soul. So what Psalm uh, 23 verse 3 says. He restores my soul. You see that? All right, you guys know the beginning of this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, Jesus is that shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd who came, who laid down his life for us at the cross, and he had the power and the authority to take it up again so that he could restore our souls, so that he could cleanse us, 
purify us, wash us, and bring us back to God. Your soul was meant for God. That's what it was meant for. Right? Your soul was meant to be Bluetooth to God. Right? If, you, if you Bluetooth something, say for instance this iPad right here, and I got a big speaker up here, I hit the Bluetooth button, and I connect it to that speaker. Your soul was meant to be connected to God in a personal way, to have a relationship with Him, to have communion with God. Without that, your life will be empty and restless. And some of you, as Christians, you need, to, you need to come back to God here this morning. You need, to, you need to remember that this is why Jesus came, so that you might have rest for your soul. And God does all this by grace. God does all this as a free gift. He doesn't make us uh, be good people, be good church people, upstanding moral people, or anything like that. He gives it to us as a free, gate, free gift, and the choice is whether we receive it or not. And we receive it by faith. That is by trusting in God's Word that what He says uh, is true. And He renew, renews our souls through Jesus. We've been doing some uh, demo in, in the back of the building here. Demo is construction. Demo is the first step, by the way. You've got to remove all the dust and all the debris and all, all the carnage. And what we're doing is we're taking what exists back there and then we're adding to that something new. Something that will serve our church and, and bless our church. All right, this is what God does with us. There's a lot of things that need to be demoed out of our life. There's a lot of dirt and debris and trash. We need to get that out. And He's got to restore us and add things that, that are beautiful uh, to, our, to our lives. But you also have a body. You have a body. So in negative world, the world that we live in, the culture, the society, what really matters is your psychology. It's almost like we're ghosts. We have our psychology over here, right? And our body is just over here. You know, uh, our, what matters is your spirit, not necessarily uh, uh, your body. And depending on your background in the church, you may not factor in your body as a part of your growth in Christ, your discipleship, or anything like that. Some Christians see the body as evil. Now, they see it as the source of sin, and you know, they misunderstand the Scriptures and, um, and all kinds of things uh, like that. It's like, it's like, well, we have our spirit over here, and that's a good thing. The body's a bad thing. I'm, I'm just waiting until I die, and I go and float in the clouds with Jesus like an angel, which is not what's, what's going to happen, by the way. Um, God created the human body. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies are amazing. And Jesus, since the time He got into the womb of Mary, has a body. Right? And He died on the cross and they put nails through His hands and, and, and uh, He had a real body. And that body went down into the grave. And He died as a man. But He rose victoriously up out of that grave and walked with, out of that grave and ate and people touched him and talked with him, and he ascended into heaven with a body, where he will be, uh, which he will have for all of eternity. When you, when Jesus comes back, you can give him a fist bump, and feel something in return. Everything that you do is done with your body. Think about that. Everything that you do is done with your body. Now I know some of you, some of you are objecting at this point. Here's my point: you are not a ghost. Right? Your, your body is intimately wed uh, with, your, with your soul. 
Look at this passage in Romans chapter um, 6, 12, and 13. This is amazing. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do something with your body, he's saying, so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, as those who have been restored, resurrected, those who have come to be born again in Christ. Here's what you are to do with your body. Offer it to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Have you ever thought about your body as a weapon for righteousness? I can tell you a lot of Christians don't. We need to be reminded of this. We are not spirits floating around in this world. You know, you hear that this morning? That's because I have legs and feet. And you live in a physical world. I saw this post uh, uh, on Twitter recently. It was a pastor sharing this. He said, 10 years ago, and this takes a lot of humility for a pastor to say this, who's, who people know, right, on Twitter. It takes a lot of humility to say something like this. 10 years ago, I was weak, overweight, out of shape, closing in on 40 years old. And since then, I've been exercising regularly, changed my diet, lost weight, and now I'm in great shape at 49 years old. And, he, and it was a long post. Right? He talked about how he's not athletic and he hated exercise. Right? And it was like death going to the gym. Y'all feel that? Like waking up, going to the gym? I mean, you, is it always amazing running out outside when it's 25 degrees? No. That's pain and sacrifice. He goes on. Human beings are embodied souls. You have a body and you have a soul. You are, we are embodied souls. Don't believe for a second that being overweight and out of shape has no bearing on your spiritual life. A godly man will take care of his body because God created him to be responsible for others. And I know that well. I have type 1 diabetes. If I don't take care of my body, I die. And I, 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 I fail to take responsibility for this church and, and my little girls and my wife. Right? So it's, it's close to home for me too. Everything that you do in your body is done as a man or a woman. You have a nature. God in the beginning created us in his image, male and female. He created them. What is, what is gender, by the way? What's gender? In negative world, gender is separated from the body you've been given. It's something, this is not what the Bible teaches, this is the way our world thinks. Gender is over here, and your body is a blank slate, a canvas, a uh, pile of clay and, and Play-Doh for you to mold and shape uh, according to your, um, your wishes. So, in our culture, it is a psychological category. It's distinct from our biological sex. So, in our world today, how we feel is more important than our bodies, which are real. Did you hear that again? How we feel is more important than my body, which is real. Feelings trump biology. You see, Jesus came to restore us as men and women. The Bible teaches that our gender right, is a gift that God has given to us on high that we ought to receive from Him, celebrate, thank God for it, right, and serve Him uh, uh, accordingly. But we live in a fallen world that's been 
broken and, 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 and messed up because of, of sin. And we can experience all kinds of confusion in regards to our sexuality. Right? We can, we can experience all kinds of distortion. But by the grace of God in Christ, we can be restored as men and women. And I'm not just talking about people out here. I'm talking about every single person who is a human being who's male or female in this room. What might this look like? What, what might it look like for us to be restored as uh, men and women? Well, I have some appetizers for you. This is not a five-course meal here. These are, you know, some little, little things, little bites, you know, and we can, we can uh, flesh it out more in community group uh, this week. Here's what it looks like. It looks like knowing that your nature is either male or female, and that's what God gave you. Right? That you are either male or female, and this is what uh, God has, uh, has given you. This means that growth in Christ is growth, uh, that, that means that growth in Christ as a man or woman is growth in masculinity or femininity. That's just what it looks like. Jesus Christ came into the world, the God-man, to restore your broken nature as a man and as a woman. Um, you guys ever had a hard fall? I mean, like you fell hard? Yeah, I did recently too. I did something really dumb. I had this still small voice in my head that said, Ricky, this is dumb. But I went on ahead and did it anyway, and I fell, I fell off my roof onto uh, the first story roof. Uh, my, my kids were outside, and uh, it made quite a calamity. And uh, it, it was way more dramatic than it, what it actually was. I wasn't hurt uh, at all, but it, it was a hard fall, right? Listen, when Adam and Eve sinned, men fell hard. A drastic fall. Drastic. And it affected our masculinity. It affected us as men. Right? But all men who are in Christ, all men who are in the other man, Jesus, the perfect man, are being restored as men. I mean, we've got to see this is a big part of our discipleship and our growth in Christ. I'll give you one verse. 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 13 and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Act like men. Now, how can we know how to act like men unless we know what a man is? I think the Bible is assuming we ought to know what this is. Right? Here's what, here's what masculinity is. Masculinity means taking the glad and sacrificial responsibility for other people. This is what masculinity is. The heart of it is glad, sacrificial responsibility for other people. God's world... Our nature, the way that things ought to be, is men taking the glad and sacrificial responsibility for our community. This is what it looks like. This is what it ought to be. That we as men, we ought to take responsibility and serve and sacrifice for our community. Right? Let me, let me ask you a question. If we don't take, if Christian men don't step up and take responsibility, who will? Chances are it's going to be someone that you don't agree with. Someone who does something evil. Someone who shouldn't do it. Who isn't called to do it. Isn't quali qualified to do it. Acting like a man means taking the glad and sacrificial responsibility for this church. That is men, God is calling you to step up 
you know, and, and take responsibility for this church. That means men uh, helping lead community groups, men helping lead service teams, um, like, uh, you know, doing the sound booth over there, serving in the band, or, or um, greeting people um, out front. Uh, God is calling men to take the glad and sacrificial responsibility to share the pastoral load of this church. That means as a church, we ought to be praying expecting God to raise up men in this church to help lead the church. And if he does, we will train them. Right? We will help them. He's calling us to do whatever it takes to shoulder the burden and not make the ladies do it for us. Because that's most churches. Most churches, the men are passive. They don't even want to be there because no one ever talks to them like this. Right? Uh, everything is feminine. And they don't want anything to do with it. Right? They think it's for, the, it's for the women and the children. I'll drop them off. I'll let them do it. No, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We are to be men, men who are like Jesus. And I praise God for the men of this church right, that you guys are like this. That you guys step up and serve uh, in all, kind, all kinds of ways. But we, can, we got a lot. We can grow. We can grow. Acting like a man means taking the glad and sacrificial responsibility for your family. And here's, what, here's the way a lot of Christians talk about this. This is the way they think about it. Okay, I need to sacrifice for my family, which means I do it all for them. Right? I do everything for my wife. Right? I, I just let her do whatever. I take all her tasks and everything that she does. I'll do it all for her. Right? I, I'll do everything. Right? That is not what God is calling you to do as a man. Right? God is call- Yeah, of course, sometimes we need to, we need to step up and Whatever our wife needs help with, we need to help her, right? But let me just give you this appetizer right here. We need to sacrifice through leadership. This is the biggest sacrifice you can make, is taking the leadership, right? Don't make, get, throw in that burden, that oppressive burden onto your family and your wife and, and, and expecting her to lead your family, right? That is a crushing weight that she's never meant to bear, right? It looks like Glad, sacrificial responsibility through leadership. And let me give you one suggestion. Right? We do this by humbly, with the counsel and help of our wives, come up with a godly, wise direction for our family. Men are called to be initiators. No woman wants to, you know, pull some guy along. Right? It is attractive and, and um, the right way for men to, to take the initiative and say, okay, babe, I hear what you're saying. Thank you for your wisdom and your input. I think we should go this way. I think we should sign up for the gospel basics class as a family. I think we should come to community group every week as a family because we want to grow in our walk with Christ. I think that we, uh, uh, as a family, should do this. Right? It's saying, hey, this is the way. I, would, I want you all to come along with me. You know, come along with me. Right? I, don't know, I don't know too many women who don't, wouldn't think that that's attractive. Something to think about. But women also fell hard in Eve and are being restored in Christ to be feminine. Men are to be masculine. Women are to be... Uh, feminine. This is what uh, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to Titus about uh, to teach the, the women there of uh, the churches. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. 
The older women, the more mature women, are to train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husband, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, we don't have time to get into all the details uh, of that passage, right? But uh, if masculinity is leading through glad and sacrificial uh, responsibility, then femininity is responding to that leadership. Masculinity is taking the initiative. Femininity is responding to that uh, initiative, right? So femininity is falling back from taking the lead. That's just what it is, right? That femininity is falling back from um, taking lead and is providing the necessary support. Right? And that is a beautiful thing. What happens, when, what happens when you get a group of people together and you're trying to accomplish a task, you're trying to do something, and, and, and you've got, you got a bunch of people trying to lead? What do you call that? <laughs> Chaos, yeah. Too many cooks in the kitchen, right? We've got too many cooks in the kitchen and everything gets confusing and, and, and you don't... Nothing happens, right, until we establish who, who's leading and who's, who's following and things like that. The Bible um, calls women helpers in the very beginning, and that is a beautiful thing. That is a wonderful thing. Women are also cultivators, by the way, cultivators. I want to give you an example. Um, I worked downtown Richmond, uh, Virginia, for uh, several years. I lived in Richmond for about a decade, and I worked in an environment uh, uh, with several ladies who were openly feminists. And uh, I had a great relationship with all of them, friends with all of them, and, uh, but they were open about these things. And they would consider things like being a housewife, homeschooling, like that's like witchcraft, sacrificing kittens and, and things like that. That's how they would receive that. And they knew my wife did both of those things. And they couldn't understand, right? But they loved my wife. They absolutely uh, loved her because she would take my paycheck, right, and she would take it and cultivate it into something beautiful and bless other people. And I'll, give you, I'll give you one example. Um, when we had a chili cook-off at work, I won, of course. But everyone up in there, I had, a, I had an award and I gave a speech and everything, you know, um, but everyone up in there knew I didn't make that chili, right? My wife uh, made that, that chili. She takes the money that I make, the leadership that I provide, the Bible teaching and the discipleship that I try my best to bless my family with, all the other resources, and she brings all those things together, plants them, and causes something beautiful to grow out of it. How, how, if you guys have been blessed in any way by this church, somehow my wife was connected to that. And she does many other things that are so beautiful that we could spend the rest of the day here talking about it. Helper, support, cultivation are essential. They are essential. So much so that, you know how in the beginning God uh, created Eve, he says, I'm going to make, he's talking to Adam, he says, I'm going to make you a helper fit for you. That same Hebrew word, God gives himself that title. I'll show you. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. Same word, a helper. God is unashamed to identify with you as a helper. A helper who was always found in the times of trouble. Our world is nuts. The only place where we can find true hope is in Jesus Christ. There is peace 
There is rest. There is comfort. And there is satisfaction for your soul in Jesus Christ. Let's respond to Him now.